when does life just pop in the way and you're like, well, change of plans at the last minute. And what is it that you rely on? What practices do you have over time? And how do you embrace a plan B? Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia, anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based science. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, it is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation-teaching podcasters that could, aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting, but leave your heart print with every step. So today, we're going to do something a little different. It's not going to be overly themed. We're going to have a very, very casual conversation about plan B, you know, when things don't work out the way they're supposed to. As, an, as a former actor, it was like, the show must go on. And after living almost 55 years of life, I'm thinking the show must go on, but must it go on the way it was planned? Mm. You know, we couldn't have had a better day for this conversation because plan B has been my plan all weekend. Every single thing I've tried to do was turned into plan B from the simplest of things. And so I'm really happy I have some practices or I would have thrown a few things, which I did not do. But I wanted to get a hose for my new garden. So I got one of those hose reel things. Well, those things don't work. So everything I tried, I had leaks coming out from all over the place. So I took that apart, shipped it back to Home Depot, went over there. Somebody said, hey, why don't you get one of those hoses that just inflates as you fill it? They don't, they're not heavy. They do all this stuff. So I'm thinking, this is a great idea. They just stretch and get longer. So I bought one of those, but water doesn't come out of it. Oh, fuck. Oh, so my God. I don't, it feels like you have to, ru- or I have to run the water to get the hose, which I got 100 feet thinking, hey, uh-huh. it might need a lot of hose. It has to all get filled up to have pressure. I don't know what it is, but I have a hose that doesn't hose. So, yeah, plan B, I, I think I'm up to plan C now. We have to bring that hose back and find plan out if B I can of the get plan. one. The plan B of the plan B of the plan B. You know, I have a hose like that and I love it and I hate it because I don't really know how to put it away every time. So I don't. But over the winter, ugh, I forgot to turn the spigot all the way off. So I no wonder our water bill kept thinking, why is our water bill so high? Must have been dripping a little bit all winter. But there's a little thing on the hose that you can turn that turns the water off. That might be it. If you turn the little thing, it just might be closed. There's a little lever on the end of the hose. My plan B with that hose is that we actually got something to screw onto it, like one a squirty thing, whatever yeah. the the end the of nozzles. Would... Yeah, the I nozzles. Have a nozzle. Thank you. Come but on. our nozzle every winter we leave it out for the winter. So by spring it's already broken and water's coming out. 
So I took off the nozzle and just used the hose part. And what I realized when I couldn't turn the water on, it was already on. I was like, oh, and I turned the little lever on the end of the hose and water started spewing out because it had already been filled up. So it could just be as easy as that little lever. But now I'm just, I'm just using the hose. That's my plan B, right? Oh, I'm, I'm thinking, how can like finding a hose to water the garden has been a two day adventure? <laughs> This is, this, oh, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm so much so that I got Spotify, which I did not have on my, on my phone so that I could hook it up to my speaker and play some like, oh and you know, peaceful music, not like the birds out here are peaceful enough to see if I could like calm the fires because I couldn't get water to do it. Wow. That's a beautiful image. This weekend must have been, I don't know, is Mercury still in retrograde? What are, there was a lunar eclipse. There's some, that's, I'm not an astrology person. Like, I don't know enough. I believe in it. I just don't source it myself. But this weekend for me too, my daughter was going up to Toronto for an event. And we've been planning it for a really long time. And for some reason, I just assumed everything was moving as it should. And a couple weeks before this weekend, I realized my passport had been expired. So I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I didn't want to disappoint her because... You know, after the pandemic and the quarantine, they miss so much. So what's the plan B? Plan B was, okay, we'll drive together up to Niagara Falls. I'll stay at a little hotel there. I stay at the Marriott Courtyard. You'll take the car and you'll drive the hour and 45 minutes into Toronto and you'll do your thing. So that was fine. And she ended up having a friend who came with us because he had circumstances that brought him back from Toronto here. So we all, the three of us drove up. I got out at the Marriott Courtyard. I'd gotten a little sty on my eye last week and I started getting a little cough. And I thought, okay, this is just a little thing. Get to the hotel and I have, I'm, so there's like two plan Bs here. We've got the plan B because I'm actually staying at the hotel to begin with, not going into Toronto to see Judith, who's our editor who we love, because um, I wasn't going with, with my kid. But the plan B was the other one, I had planned this whole retreat. I was going to prepare for our next episodes. I was going to read sacred writings that I'd been saving that I hadn't read in a long time or ever. And I just had this great idea that for a day and a half, I'll have to myself and I'll just study and sit and practice. Well, Friday night, I started feeling really super crappy. You can probably hear it in my voice. And I, I, thank goodness, I actually changed my room. There was a plan B there too. There was, everything was a plan B. They put me in a room on the first floor. I look out the window and it's just, it's ugly, ugly, ugly. And I thought, just want a little, little bit of a better view. I don't need a falls view. They didn't have one anyway. But they put me up on the third floor at the end with a really crappy balcony, which was fine because at least I got some fresh air. And thank goodness, because the death rattle that was coming from my chest, the coughing all night long, I thought I would have kept anyone on the first floor up. And at least at the end, I had a chance to, to be on my own. So, you know, didn't get to go into the Toronto thing, didn't have the retreat. But because I think, because I've leaned on my practices for so many years, cumulatively, I felt a sense of calm. I felt a sense of, all right, what's coming next? This is what it is. And what I found from the weekend was that it was a reset for me. It was a reset, even though it wasn't a retreat and it wasn't what I had planned or expected. I reset myself. I reset from habitual patterns. I reset from a lot of different things that I'm not going to go into here, but I feel a certain renewal. And then I read something, I think I sent it to you this morning that maybe I haven't read the whole article, but I want to dive into it a little bit more because we've touched on like things like toxic positivity 
which is mm, the opposite of that was tragic optimism. And that, I think, feeds into this because I, th I think it was Viktor Frankl, I forget who actually said it, but this tragic optimism is finding the gift in hard times. And so that's different from toxic positivity and it's nuanced. We'll probably get and dive into that at some point, but that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like, okay, this is, I feel crappy. I'm alone in a, in a place that no one is there to take care of me. And, you know, I figured it out. It was good. So did you get to rest a lot? At least like you, you had a lot of activities planned, <laughs> but mm -hmm. you know, the reading and the retreat. So how did you spend your time when, uh, when everything got into plan B because Good of question. Uh, yeah, because of that whole passport debacle. So what I did was I didn't even think the first night that they might have NyQuil down in the, in the lobby, mm. which I did the second night. And I'll tell you, man, I've had the best sleeps that I've had for the last two nights, two, three nights since I've gotten the NyQuil. So I'm grateful for that. But what I did was I watched a lot of TV. I just, I thought I'm going to let my bones and my organs just rest. I watched the entire season of Beef which is fucking awesome. And, and I won't give anything away. All I'll say is that, and it's a little spoiler alert if you haven't, you might want to just fast forward maybe five seconds. It starts with a road rage incident, which will feed into more that we talk about, you know, <laughs> Dharma at the wheel, yoga for road rage. That's something that's very personal to me and something that after doing two seven-hour drives, not feeling well, and I can see how much I've grown behind the wheel due to the practices. What else? What else is it going to be? I don't know. Speaking of being behind the wheel and playing bees, I got my first ticket ever in my entire life. I'm 63. I am no longer a virgin. I have a ticket written by a police officer and given to me the other night. Under uh, what circumstances? I have driven with you. You are not a speeder. I was not speeding. I was driving home from my friend Amy. Amy was in season one from Amy's birthday party. And my GPS took me in a way that I had never come home, come to my new place yet. I've only been here two, week, two weeks to more, two weeks, almost two weeks. So I was never on that road. It took me in a different place and it was a little bit drizzly and a little bit cloudy. So I stop at a red light. I look both ways. There's nobody around and I make, take my right turn. And right after I take my right turn, the lights go on and I was like, well, I'm I mean, I didn't even have a chance to get up to speed. So what's going on here? So the cop pulls me over. He's like, do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, no. And he goes, that's a no turn on red. So I got pulled over because I made a right on red, which at that particular in intersection, there was no right on red. There were also no cars or no people. So not that that makes it right. No. But I was safe and I stopped and I looked. So... He gave me a ticket for my license plate obscuring one of the numbers because there's no points and said, and I quote, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm from, you know, I just moved here from Pennsylvania. This is the first time I'm on this road. It's a little bit dark. I, I just didn't notice that it was a no yeah. turn on red. And he said, well, welcome out of Pennsylvania and into one of the most regulated states in the country. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that means, but... That I'm was not going his, there. And here's, and, your, and here's your ticket. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, oh, my goodness. Yeah, 63, I got my first ever ticket. We have to celebrate. Oh, I I know. Know. oh my gosh. Plan B was, I'm going to stick to the roads I know. Wow. 
And you know what? And that's really interesting too, because plan B usually happens when we're somewhere unfamiliar or doing something that is unexpected or something unexpected happens. You're in a new place and it's, it's an unexpected road. It was an unexpected, you know, moment. Yeah. And I wasn't really upset at getting the ticket. I was just like, oh, well, oh, mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen. But I do know I really don't like driving at night. Yeah. I really, every year that I get just a tiny bit older, I like driving at night a little bit less. And, you know, we don't, the, the plan B thing, this, this episode is a plan B, but yeah, yeah it's just the, 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 the best laid plans, the things that we expect The my mother's favorite quote was on the rare wow. occurrence of the expected, you know, and I, that's such a potent experience. Like if you think of the rare occurrence of the expected, all the things that we kind of put our expectations on, we put, we attach to our hopes and dreams. We were talking about the nervous system earlier and, you know, plan B's and being okay and just kind of flowing, you know, going with the flow. And that rare occurrence of the expected reminded me of how many things we worry about that we're afraid about of that, you know, maybe keep me up at night that never really happen. There's this expectation that creates all this anxiety and suffering. like oh my gosh, is this going to happen? Or is everything going to work out well? Or are all these pieces for my mood going to fall into place? Is it going to fall apart at the last minute? Like all of these questions of unexpected things that could happen just create a whole bunch of anxiety and worry when, like your mom said, there's a rare occurrence of the expected. So maybe if we just, if I just left it open to Let's see how this works out. Mm -hmm. That yeah, might be fluidity. a simpler approach. Yeah. And I think that that's what these practices that we, we do and that we offer and that we are so passionate about, you know, they are preparing us to be present, to be in the now. And, you know, the now, my dad used to say the present is that infinitesimal moment between the, that connects the past and the future. It's so brief, but if, we're not there. We're going to miss it. It becomes past. And then we start thinking about the future. And, you know, we talk about presence and being present in spiritual practice so much that it almost, we don't even hear it anymore. You know, I shouldn't say we, I, you know, as I practice, it, it's, I have to practice remembering to be present. And I am like, I feel like this being present allows for plan B to unfold in a beautiful way you know, in a way that we're not attaching to the expectation of what was going to be or what the past was. Just strolling around in my neighborhood after the first week. So I'm in some place new. So that, in a way, just piques my curiosity, like what's around and this is new and there's so much to explore and I don't know where I am. So, you know, just finding the Home Depot, which I've gotten to be a real expert at with all of the returned hoses. I can almost get the Home Depot blindfolded right now. Oh but also, I've just found all of these things that are helping me in my practice of being outside. And that is allowing me to maybe be present without having to think so much about it because there's a curiosity of, ooh, what else? Like, I was walking Siva the other day and I passed the lake and there were 10 big turtles sitting on the bedding. 
because it, the sun had finally come out. So I got to stop and I was like, whoa, what well, really amazed me about presents and these turtles where they were on the far bank. Now, I say the far bank, and I don't know how far that is, shorter than my hose, which is 100 feet, not that. So it was right at the beginning. And so there's a distance where those big turtles were sitting on the bank of the water, sunning themselves. And as soon as I got somewhat close to the opposite bank, they all went off and into the water, which means that their sense of presence and being in that moment was so in tune that they saw me from a distance away enough to come off of the bank and dive into the water. And again, I'm not saying I know how far it was, but we're saying block. It's a block away. That's quite a distance for a bunch of turtles to recognize a threat across the other side. And I'm not that much of a threat. I wasn't going to swim over there or anything like that. But that's but, really interesting. It goes back to a lot of stuff that we've already talked about, you know, animal instinct, you know, mm. their instinct and their senses being, you know, I won't say sharper. I don't know what turtles instincts are like, but, you know, that the thing that I think trips up humans is that we have consciousness in a different way. I'm, turtles have consciousness, too, but we have that that ability to rationalize and think our way in and out of things. And turtles are just reacting or animals react to, you know, from their internal stuff like like you said that we're the only species that what that thinks our way out of our instincts we train ourselves to not trust our own instincts and there's just so many different examples like times and they're not good examples that i have but times where there's maybe a story of a rape where a woman knew that she was in an unsafe situation like the one that i that came to mind when i started talking about that was a woman's carrying a bunch of bags and she's trying to get into a secure building, but she's, her hands are full. And this guy says, Hey, can I help you with that? And she's like, no, 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 I've got it. And she didn't feel comfortable in the closeness of the arrangement of this person coming up behind her to help her into the door. And she said, and he embarrassed me. He was like, Oh, that's right. Women don't need men to help them anymore. And so she felt like she had been insulting. So she said, oh, I'm sorry, handed him a bag, opened the door, and invited him in. And that did not turn out well. But the thing was is that there's this instinct sometimes that we know that something is going on. Our body is giving us that signal. We talk about the, the stories the body holds and the stories the body tells. And we've all been there. I've been in that situation where I have felt unsafe or, you know, had this thought that I needed to go do something else. I was being called in a different direction and then talked myself out of it and found out I should pay attention to my own instincts. And humans think our way out of those mm -hmm. body reactions sometimes. Yeah, it's very interesting that one of the things that I did watch when I was in my little, you know, TV cave was something about repressed memory. A woman at 28 years of age, and I'm forgetting that I, some, Eileen Franklin, there was a Franklin case that when she was 28 years old, she had a repressed memory come up of her father killing her best friend when she was eight. I'm not going to mm -hmm. go into the whole story. He was found guilty, and then they took away that. She had apparently been hypnotized, and in the state of California, anyone who gets a, a memory that surfaces through hypnosis, it's thrown out. 
But it was a really long and drawn out thing. But And my dad used to work on cases like this. And he has worked on things with false memory and, and repressed memory. But one of the things that I thought was interesting that goes to what you just said was that that sort of discounted a little bit, made her claim a little bit less credible, even though I still kind of believe her. It's a weird kind of thing. And who cares what I think? But that they thought, even if it had been repressed, there should be some behaviors like if something happened in an elevator that was bad, that you might have a fear of elevators. You might not want to go on elevators. That those kinds of things would have shown up in her life, at least, you know, in her behaviors. And none of that seemed to be, though I don't know how you can look at someone's whole life and, you know, tell whether or not that's happened. But that's really, really interesting how our bodies can protect us. And I know that, you know, the body keeps the score, trauma. Like I, I felt that there was a lot of, this happened in 19... 78. The, the crime happened in 1969, I think. But well, however, it was a long time ago and we didn't know what we know now. But I do think it goes back to our bodies holding on to our stories and how they come out. We have to be open to receiving them, at least hearing them. And then, you know, discernment is a thing too. We have to, you know, make sure innocent people are not being caught up in someone else's trauma that is maybe being projected on. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about presence earlier, and I think going hand in hand with presence is noticing when triggers come up. Notice, like beginning to notice, especially if I all of a sudden fly off the handle about something, which I've been known to do on occasion, Mm -hmm. like just getting so upset that you fly off the handle. Something probably happened prior to that that touched a nerve that, Mm -hmm. you know, set off or set the circumstances and the causes and circumstances to feel like another situation that I was becoming very protective of for myself. So I think that sometimes the the practice of presence for me and moving forward is to be able to notice the thing that set off the trigger. Yes. Before the reaction comes. And that is the practice. The practice isn't like, oh, shit, I just flew off the handle for no reason and yelled at somebody. Well, that's a good place to realize, okay, something happened. But really, I think in this idea of self-study and all these years of practice, the gems are those times that you're like, oh, There's that trigger. There's that thing that is starting to make me act this way and then fall into this habitual pattern of letting everything flow the same way it's flowed over and over again, which is often really unproductive because flying off the handle Mm -hmm. for any reason generally only leads me to feeling crappy about me. Um, It doesn't really solve anything. I just feel like crap for a bit. But now that I work harder and harder at presence in my practices and, you know, kind of being in the moment whenever I can remember to do that, Mm -hmm. especially if I start to notice that I'm getting pissed off or agitated or something is coming up, is to stop and say, okay, what's going on here? And then maybe change the outcome because I recognize the trigger, right? Oh, and, you know, I think specifically in the practice of mindfulness meditation that we've talked about, it's that moment where we notice that our mind has wandered from our breath because sometimes it takes a while to recognize that. Sometimes the ignition time between 
wandering and recognizing is much shorter. But that's, I think, the key muscle that we need to be practicing and, and working out so that in when we translate that into real scenarios in our lives, that we go, oh, I've wandered from my center and now I'm reacting in a way that it's not conducive to the outcome that I'm looking for. So for example, I was feeling crappy. I'm at the hotel. Uh, there's a woman who is brand new who's checking me in and she's got, you know, she's making mistakes and she's doing her thing. She's so kind though. I don't think I ever would have yelled at her or been mean to her, but I may have felt frustrated at one point in my life and especially I'm not feeling well. I want to go into my room. But instead, I decided to find her goodness. And I said, you know, I said, you're learning the job right now, right? And she said, yes, it's my first day. And I said, the hard skills you will learn. You got that. I said, but you already have the skills you need to be with people. I said, you're kind and you're connecting. And I took a moment to get outside myself and give her a comp because I can see she was feeling, you know, there are other people coming in. And I remember I was a temp. I temp for so many different people and for short-term and long-term things. And I remember those first days, those learning curves of, you know, learning the systems and trying to figure it out and being on your own. And the manager is there staring at her and, you know, there's all of this energy going on. And so I wanted her manager to see that I see you and, you know, this, but you know what? I imagined when I got back to my room, if I had been like, ugh, come on already. Why don't you know what you're doing? How is this not, you know, that the outcome would have been very different. And all that would have done, it was sent this young woman home feeling like crap. And that is definitely not the way I want to show up, even though I know I've done it in the past. I know that there are times when I'm not operating from my highest vibration and frequency, but it's a lot less frequent now than it had been previously. So, you know, to take that moment to step back and say, this isn't going to change anything in a major way if I just take a deep breath and offer some kindness. And you know what happened over time is that it's just organic. I'm not thinking about that anymore. I'm not thinking, oh, I, if I was frustrated, now I'm doing this. It's just become a part of the way that I, I choose to interact with people is to say, all right, you know, you're, you're doing great. You're doing great. And, you know, I think that little kind word is enough to kind of keep, I don't know, keep the energy moving in that direction. Yes. And so, you know, consistent practices help with plan Bs. They help when uh, we don't feel well, but we're going to get on and do some work anyway. They help in so many different ways. The consistent practice has helped me to be flexible and, you know, sometimes and to be a little bit fluid most of the time. <laughs> and that's that's the other thing to not beat ourselves up when we don't, you know, fall into that perfect rhythm of our highest frequency, you know, because we're human. But recognizing that and being able to come back to our breath, to be able to return and say, all right, I'll do better next time. You know, um, yeah. I just have to say, I'm looking at your background and it is gorgeous. Yeah. That it's no longer a plain white wall, that your beautiful, natural background feels like my bookshelf, but in a different way. Yes. You know, it's the natural yes. flip side. Yeah, I have even the linear lines like your bookshelves in the uh, tree that's behind me with all the branches that are coming up. Right. There were some that had served their purpose. They were dry. And so yesterday I cut those lower ones off to allow the tree to use its resources for those things that were still growing and alive. But I was at a client's house and 
in the room where I was doing massage, there was tree branches and she used tree branches to hang her curtains. She also had tree branches that she put little finishing nails in and like had necklaces hanging off of them. So when I needed to- Great idea. It wasn't a fabulous. I may have to snatch that idea. That's a, I kept thinking I need something to hang, you know, necklaces and rings and stuff. And that is such a cool idea. And I know, I know. You yeah. see something, you're like, okay, I'm borrowing that one. Yes. Um, so I borrowed that. And I also, uh, looking at plan B, I'm looking at ways to create like a, a high garden. I like raised bed gardening, but high raised, like the two feet ones that you walk around. Yeah. And I just saw this post on Facebook that was from how, how to reuse pallets, wood pallets. And they had some beautiful things built out of them. And wood nice. pallets you can get for free most of the time. So, And you know, if the funny thing is, is I think plan B was probably what the universe was wanting to be plan A to begin with. Mm. Well, and so in those moments, it's, I'm going to that tragic optimism, not the toxic positivity that I think, okay, this weekend was exactly the way it was meant to unfold. So maybe I'm a little bit of a fatalist, but I don't believe that if you do nothing or you don't plan that things work out that way. I think you have to make the plan. You have to do the things. And then however it works out is, you know, what you get to draw from for, you know, inspiration, for lesson, for, you know, um, inquiry, whatever it may be. But I think that we've talked about it before. Nothing is wasted. It's not like, oh, it didn't work out the way it should. And now, you know, things suck. You know, I mean, Vegas didn't turn out the way we expected it to. But I, I didn't walk away feeling like it was wasted. I feel like we got, we got into it. We got to go. We up-leveled our connection in mm -hmm. a way that was difficult at times. And, but we did. We were able to be, clarify our mission a little bit more. And so whatever else was happening around us, the location almost seemed superfluous that it just happened to happen there. And maybe we needed to be in those conditions in order to bring up what needed to be brought up. And so yeah. sometimes that's uncomfortable, but I'm so grateful for that time. And so, you know, for that is just one of those other thingies. Yep. Another one of those occasional unexpected, uh, expected things that happened. Right? You know, we expected to go to Vegas and learn so many things to like make our podcast be heard by millions of people instantly. And then we realized and, we don't want millions of people. Yeah. Maybe you know, like, half a million. That's yeah. good. It doesn't sound like something I really want to work all that hard to do. We really did realize that some of the things, and this comes back to communication, to our personal practices. And for me, notice beginning to really tap in while we were there into how my body felt listening to different options and realizing that those were not the options that excited me and you and i as as a consequence to that would sit and talk about our programs and you know the fun that we had at camp and the things that we did in planning for rhythm and rhyme and you know, our Keystone members that we really loved hanging out with or howling at the moon and our, our full moon ceremony around the fire. We, I, I, I won't speak for you, but, uh, you know, you'll come in when you're ready, really started to realize that, yes, I love having these conversations and chatting, but the goal 
was not to have a million people who listen to me every week. The goal was to talk to the people who love being outside, who love these practices that we have to offer, who want to get together in community. So just like I've been on this healing journey, they can be on their, we can be on our singular healing journeys, but also find community and the people that we like to hang out with and do fun things and join these individual practices into a more collective experience. And those conversations forced me to do some deep inquiry, self-inquiry, because my dreams as a child were much, I won't say they were much bigger than they are now, but they were different. And I hadn't examined that. I just sort of expected that, you know, I always wanted to be, you know, big and you know, a fabulous actor on the stage and screen and, you know, have be adored by millions and, you know, and let me just say how grateful I am that the universe decided that plan A was not going to happen. That plan B was the thing that was supposed to happen. This was the thing. And when I, I think as a result of the years of practice on and off the cushion and mat, because for the first, I'll say 10 years of my practice, it was a dance between being on and off the path, recognizing it, saying, hey, I'll check you later. I see you're still there and I know you're waiting for me and coming back. The consistency of my practice has really been the last, I'll say, 13 years or so, 13, 14 years. And as a result of that, and I keep saying as a result of that, as if the results are solid, they're not, they're still porous. They're still, you know, potentially, uh, you know, plan B's too. But I hadn't actually looked at what the dream was anymore. And the practice had allowed me to say, I don't necessarily want to shrink and be tiny and be small, but I don't need the validation. I don't need the external thing. I have everything I need inside. And where the joy comes is in the interaction with our people, is in the practices, is in the activities that we're doing. The programs that we're creating are all heart-driven and our agenda is, is now completely in line and is just to serve the people who show up. And so whether it's one person who shows up, we are going to give our 100% to that one person. If it's 50 people who show up, we're going to give our 100% to those 50 people. If it's, you know, whatever it is. So I'm so grateful for that opportunity to look deeper and say, what really stirs my heart? And then, you know, when you practice like this and you're in that kind of community, you realize that everything is impermanent and that any grasping for permanence is an illusion. I mean, almost everything is anyway. And, you know, since I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say that there's a 50% chance we live in a simulation, that has really (laughs) rewired me in a certain way. I'm like, oh, the gamer's fucking with me now. But it's, I'm grateful that I didn't get what I thought I wanted when I was young. And I still got to have experiences that, that served me. I got to be on stage. I got to do the thing I loved. And even though I would tell myself that it was just the craft that I loved, there was still that little voice that said, but you want to be big and famous too. And I don't, I don't know that that's a thing anymore. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, because you know what? When we were younger, the audience was different. There was no social media. There was no it's not the way it is now where you are, you know, sort of accountable to every little nuance that is out of context or, you know, there's just so much judgment in the world in a different way today than there was then. And I'm not interested in playing in that playground. 
you know, plan B is there's, there's a faith, not even a faith or a belief or a choice. There's a choice to believe that when things don't work out, like you were talking about being in the hotel, there's, it's a choice to believe that we're exactly where we need to be when we need to be there. That, and it's a hard one sometimes, a hard one for me to not be like, oh my gosh, this was supposed to work out. It didn't even work out. Now look, I have to do this thing. Instead of really kind of being able to step back and look maybe from a longer distance and accept maybe there's something here that really needed to happen. So, because you never know what happens if your timeline changes by 10 minutes, right? If your timeline changes or if an entire activity that you have planned, I have planned, doesn't seem to work out for whatever reason, like getting ready to move down here um, while I was packing and had everything outlined in my brain of how I was going to move my things and how many times I would come with my car. And three days before I closed, my car was in the shop for three days, right? It broke and I didn't have a car at a time where I knew that I had a ton of things that had to get done. And it was really easy for me to feel frustrated and like, oh, I just need to get my car back. And like, I really started to sabotage all the thoughts in my own head because my car wasn't working rather than real, you know, being able to take that step. And I did, I was able to take it. It just took, it took some time and some intention and some clear focus to realize that Maybe my car was in the shop, so I didn't make myself crazy. Maybe my car was in my shop, in the shop, so I didn't allow myself to become exhausted before I had to actually do the thing by filling my calendar with all of these things that I'm like, I have to get this done, I have to get this done. It allowed me to stop and take a break and say, okay, so if I can't take my car to do some of those things, what are the other things on my list? What else can I do? with this time and to be okay with, you know what? Maybe I'm not supposed to be out running around doing all that stuff right now. And that's a challenge sometimes to have enough focus, belief, or whatever other word, faith, I might want to put in there to choose to believe that this is where I need to be right now for whatever reason and allow the frustration to move off to the side so that maybe I can be present in the thing that changed, that plan B that was kind of thrown in my face. Mm -hmm. Like, ha ha, you had all these plans. Well, no car, you can't do them. Plan B time. Ishvara um, Pranidhana. Yeah. You surrender. Like, and you need the faith in order to do that. And so sometimes we have to practice believing that, like to get out of our limited beliefs, to be able to expand our vision of what what this is, you know, um, and gratitude is a practice that helps us do that. Yeah. You so, know, gratitude for all the things that, that arise. Sometimes we don't even know we're practicing until I was, could step back and go, okay, so what else can you do if you can't be out driving? Like, what are the other things that you can do from home base that you don't need to go and get done? And then I'm like, oh, look at you. Look at you plan being over there. <laughs> well, I mean, the pandemic was a global plan B. You know, look at what the plan B is innovation. It's creativity. Unfortunately, there was a lot of collateral damage and, I, and that's sad and, and that sucks. And if we can also look at the incredible gifts of 
you know, that time that we were forced into figuring out, okay, we can't do it the way we've always done it. What now? How do we make it work so that we can stay, you know, and thank you to all again, you know, I, we, we feel it feels like it's over, but it's not here. I am sick as a dog. Do dogs get sick like this? I don't know. Where did that come from? Sick as a dog. Um, dogs seem it, to have a really great life. Seems just laying what? on the couch over here napping while we're working. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. I don't know what um, the kids are outside. That's why the dogs are going nuts. But I just, you know, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for for you, for everyone who's listening. Um, it's just, what a hell of a life, man. Yeah. And we practice so that and these come really great. Like our yoga practice can be really transformational. There's, it can be deeply rewarding. But what I've realized over the years, you know, I started, like you said, you were in on, on the path, off the path, on the path. I think that's a pretty common story. I've been on and off that path a lot. Being in, a, in the studio, really helped me to expand what I thought yoga was, taking my 200 hour, did that as well, then my yin training and the yoga therapy. But what has really happened in the journey of this practice is I still love taking a studio class and being in the energy of being in the studio, but my practices have become more and more specific to the things that fill my soul, the things that I really need to focus on as my practice without a lot of rules necessarily. Yes, I still meditate in many traditional ways, but also after going to my outdoor leadership, sit spot is just sitting. It's not really meditating or noticing your breath. It's just being in a place and being aware and mindful of the things that go on around you and how they change from moment to moment, from day to day, from season to season from the difference between a bright sunny day when all those turtles are laying on the shore to a rainy grizzly day when all the water's moving really quickly in the creek. So I guess what all that is to say that, you know, plan B and the practices have a fluidity to them and the practices uh, of being introduced to so many different types of practices mm -hmm. allows me to pull from that toolbox and use the things that I need at different times in my life. Absolutely. So if you get injured, your yoga, your asana practice is going to definitely have to change. And if it's a, if it's a long-term injury, then it really you've got to figure out if it's something you want to do, how do you work that? What is your plan B for that? You know, being sick, my morning ritual, I think I'm on day 201 or 202, but it looks very different when I'm feeling crappy than when I'm, you know, up and around. Today, I just walked barefoot in my garden and set my timer and allowed myself to be with the earth. And that was enough. I didn't sit practice. I didn't movement practice because I need to heal myself. And I feel like I just need to kind of, when we're done here, I'm going right back to bed. And so it's what everything, plan B is is a cute little kind of title for it, but it's, it's you know, the backup plan. It's the thing that happens when, you know, the rare occurrence of the expected. We still were able to get accomplished what we wanted, and we are so, so grateful that you are here listening and taking this Plan B journey with us, even as listeners. When Sherry and I came off of, you know, maybe what we had planned to talk about today, you also took a Plan B journey with us. So we are grateful that you are here and would love to hear about some of the things that you do in preparation for your Plan Bs. When does life just pop in the way and you're like, well change of plans at the last minute and 
what is it that you rely on? What practices do you have over time? And how do you embrace a plan B? And if you don't have practices for it, you know, how do you manage it? What do you, what is your typical response or reaction to things when they don't work out as they were planned? And if you'd like, a, I, I really think a gratitude practice is a start. You know, if you're not someone who's on the spiritual path or on a practice path, and we use the word practice a lot, but pract everything we do, we're practicing living. I mean, we're not, I don't know anyone who's professional at it to <laughs> be a pain for living. But so keeping a gratitude journal or even just, I have a friend who every single day she posts what she's grateful for, just one little thing. And that little thing could be all the difference in the world. So if you want to, uh, if you have practices, that's amazing. If you wanted to adopt some practices, here's five easy steps. Number one, set a clear intention. So why do you want to have a practice? And it can be simple. It could be, I just want to be a little bit more mindful or like make it simple and set a clear intention. Be consistent with what you're doing. Doesn't mean that consistency means it needs to take a lot of time out of your day. Consistency can just mean while I'm waiting online at ShopRite, I take long, deep breaths every time I'm there. So make it accessible and consistent. If you need help, seek guidance from somebody who's doing some of the things that you like to do and see what they, what's worked well, well for them or have an accountability partner instead of guidance. Explore new practices. I find that if I've done the same thing over and over for a while, I get bored. So practices don't have to fit into a little neat box. Uh, maybe your practice is bird watching or filling up bird feeders every day so the birds come to eat at your home. Whatever it is, explore something new that connects you to things that you love. And on a regular basis, reflect and adjust. So reflect on those that you love that fit in, the ones that were easy to be consistent with, and maybe adjust and add some new little tidbits, whatever that might be. And just notice, once you have these this intention set and do little tiny action steps, make them accessible and not overwhelming, and uh, share with us. What happens when you're prepared for plan B? I can't let, I can't let it go though. This one thing, be curious about the boredom, be curious about the boredom and maybe work with that. And I don't mean to be a dick or anything, but that is something that has been such a potent experience for me that has kept me on the path. So it doesn't mean you have to do it. Doesn't mean you have to like love it. Doesn't mean that it has to be the thing, but if it's something that you liked and you just got bored with it, be curious about it. That is all. You can let that it go, do whatever you want. Just be curious. Mm. Always curious. <laughs> All right. Until next time.